The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's up, Porch? How we doing tonight? Hey, it's uh, so good to see you. Hope all is well. Uh, whether this is your first time or your last time at the porch, I am so glad that you made it. My name is Timothy Atik. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark on Sundays as well as here at the porch. Hello to everyone watching at a porch live location tonight. I'm so glad that you are tuning in with us wherever you are at. So here's the deal. Some of you know this. Not everyone knows this. You might uh, have watched a Netflix documentary on this, but in 2017, there was a 26-year-old entrepreneur named Billy McFarlane who came up with an idea. So he got together with a rapper friend named Ja Rule, and the two of them decided that they were going to try and throw an epic music festival on an island in the Bahamas called Firefest. So what they did is they went to this island in the Bahamas with some models and they took some pictures of these models on white sandy beaches and then they asked some influencers to uh, promote that they are having a concert on a private island in the Bahamas where Blink-182 is going to come and different musical artists are going to come and it's going to be this all-exclusive, luxurious, epic three-day weekend. So people began to push it on social media and the thing sold out just like that, which is amazing. Unless you're the organizers who have not planned any logistics yet for an, a weekend concert that you just sold out. So this 26-year-old Billy McFarlane in this rapper, Ja Rule, realized that they just sold out a concert that they haven't planned for. And so they began to plan for it. And what they realized is that the island that they had said they were going to hold it on couldn't even hold the amount of people that they had sold tickets to. And instead of working the math and making the decision, this won't work, they instead decided to cross their fingers and hope for the best. And so these people left the United States and flew to the Bahamas to be a part of a music festival that had no planning that went into it. And so when people showed up, the organizers just started pumping people full of alcohol, hoping that they wouldn't realize what was happening. And then when night began to fall, people began to wonder, where am I staying? And it is then that everything began to unravel and people realized that the luxurious um, cabanas that they thought that they had rented were actually hurricane shelter, little pop-ups 
that were drenched in water and people began to run for their lives trying to take shelter. The food that, the, that they thought they had purchased were actually cheese sandwiches and styrofoam cartons. And so you had these people who were trapped on an island with a festival that they had paid thousands of dollars to attend and the festival never got going because all the musical artists bailed. And so did Billy McFarlane. And so the reason I tell you that is I want you to think about people's experiences at Fire Festival. You know what happened is their dreams and reality went in two totally different directions. Like they dreamed of a three-day epic weekend with friends, seeing musical artists, taking in exotic drinks, meeting new people. And what was reality? They found themselves in an airport desperate to get out with no food and no water. The places they thought they would be staying were actually miserable hurricane shelters. Their dreams and reality went in two totally different directions. And I wonder if that describes your life right now. Like you are living your very own fire festival where your dreams and your reality are going in two totally different directions. Like your dreams of being married in your reality, the person you thought you were going to be married to just broke up with you, that's a tough place to be. Your dreams of crushing it in your job, in your reality, you just got let go from that job, that's a harsh reality. Your dreams of being physically fit and in the best condition of your life at the age of 29, in your reality that you have more health issues than some people in their 50s is a harsh reality. Your, your dreams of being happy all the time and completely settled in your young adult years and your reality that you have been in a funk for months now and you just don't feel yourself and you really just don't like being around people, and even to come here tonight felt like climbing a mountain, that's a harsh reality. And we need to talk about it. Like, how do we navigate the, the times, the days, the weeks, the months, the seasons of life where our dreams and reality seem to go in two different directions? The good news is that we're not left to ourselves to try and figure that out. Like, the, the scriptures talk a lot about it. If you're new to the porch, we teach the Bible here. The reason that we put so much emphasis on this book is that we believe that God went to great lengths to speak to us through this book. So when we open this book, it's kind of like we're opening up God's mouth. God speaks to us when we read this book. And if you're new, we are in the middle. This is the third week of, of a series where we're going through the most famous chapter in the entire Bible. It's Psalm 23. It's most often read at funerals, but this, this passage is so much more than a funeral passage. It is a passage to life to the full. And it's written by a guy named David. And David knew what it felt like for his dreams and reality to go in different directions. David was a guy who lived on the run for 15 years because 
a guy was trying to kill him and take his life. David was a guy who lost his best friend. His best friend passed away. David had kids and his daughter got raped. Four of his kids died prematurely. He had to bury four of his kids. One of his kids rebelled against him and tried to steal the throne from him. David had to lead his country through a three-year famine. David was a guy who knew what it felt like for his dreams and reality to go in two totally different directions. And yet, these are the words that he writes. He writes these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now watch this. Verse 4 is where we're landing tonight. We're just going verse by verse through this passage. It's taken us five weeks to do it. This is week three. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only are we looking at the most famous passages in the Bible, but we're looking at the most famous verse in the most famous passage in the Bible. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so here's the deal. Let me just ask you, hey, I'm just asking you to be honest. You don't have to be honest. This is a church, so some people are like, I definitely can't be honest at church. Some of you guys have no problem being honest. If you're in one of those seasons of life where your dreams and reality have gone in two different directions, would you just slip up your hand real quick so I know who I'm talking to? Okay, there's a lot of people in this room. Hey, I would say that's me too. I would say that that's right where I'm at even this week. My dreams and reality have gone in two different directions. Here's, here's what we want. We want our circumstances to change, right? That's what we want most. We want our circumstances to change. But as we look at Psalm 23 verse 4, what I would argue is that more than our circumstances changing, there are three other things that might need to change if you want to navigate the path of the, the valley of the shadow of death. The first thing that might need to change is this. You might need to change what you believe, okay? The first thing that I want to encourage you, if you feel like right now your dreams and reality are going in different directions, if you feel like you are in some ways walking through the valley of the shadow of death, then I want to encourage you, you might need to change what you believe. Now, that sounds like a big statement. You just walked into a church and the guy on stage is telling you, you might need to change what you believe. Why do I say that? Well, I told you that King David is writing this passage. Who was David to God? God looked at David and gave David a title. Here's the title God gave to David. God referred to David as the man after my own heart. It's a, it's a pretty big compliment when the God of the universe looks at David and says, you know who you are? You know who you will be? You will be the man after my own heart. Like God had a deep affection for David. 
he made David king of his people, the nation of Israel. And yet David, the man after God's own heart, God's king, the, the guy that God had made king, he's the one saying that he is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know what that tells us? It tells us that bad things happen even to God's people. So that's why I say you might need to change what you believe because your belief structure really might not be able to handle the truth at this point that bad things happen even to God's people. To just dig down the rabbit hole a little bit more, if you were to look, about, if you were to look back at what David said last week, at the end of verse 3, what does he say? He says that his shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness. What did we say that means? It means that he, David is saying, God leads me in right paths. And so what David is saying is, the right paths in life are the paths that lead to green pastures and still waters, and the right paths also lead straight through the valley of the shadow of death. Do your beliefs allow for that type of experience? Where God can be good for leading you to green pastures and quiet waters, and God can still be good when he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. Does your beliefs really allow for that? Because this is what the scriptures teach. I mean, I think about what Jesus says in John 16, 33. What does he say? He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Watch what he says. Watch his wording. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Like, I don't know how Jesus could have been more clear. He gathers his friends on the night that he is about to leave them. He's like, all right, guys, bring it in. Take a knee. In this world you will have trouble. So Jesus, let me make sure I'm hearing you. If I believe in you, everything's going to go exactly how I want it to go. I'm going to get the guy. I'm going to get the job. I'm going to make the money. No. In this world, hello McFly, is anybody home? In this world, you will, not you might, not it's a possibility, not if you draw the short straw, but you will have trouble. Jesus couldn't have said it more clearly, and yet we lose our ever-loving minds, and we feel like God has abandoned us. He's deserted us when things don't go how we want them to go. I've experienced that. I've watched other people experience that. You know what we want? We want karma. We want the idea that if you do good, you get good. That's that's the belief system that many of us live with. I remember watching a friend in his mid-20s begin dating this girl, did everything right, did everything right. They were dating for months. He's a godly man. She's a godly woman. He was trying to lead her in a healthy way. They were physically pure in their relationship. He was very respectful. He was very thoughtful, took her on great dates, was trying to do everything that God would want him to do. And out of the blue, she broke up with him and ended up not too long from them 
getting together with another guy and they got married. And I remember this guy just thinking, I did everything right. I remember when my close friend, I was in my mid-20s, he passed away serving our country. And I remember getting the news that he had, he had uh, the tank he was in ran over an IED and it killed him. And I remember getting that news and driving down the toll road with tears in my eyes, just wondering, God, why would you let this happen? Even recently, within the last few months, there's been various challenges that our family has navigated. And, and there's part of me that's just been like, God, what are you doing? You know what we want? We want God to be like a cosmic-sized vending machine. You know, where you walk up and you, you look and it's like E6. So you just have to push two buttons, E6. So we're like, as long as I push E, meaning I read my Bible and I pray and I come to the porch, and as long as I push 6, which means I don't do too many stupid things and I try to live a good life, then what we expect is for God to drop down exactly what we want. And yet we live in these moments where the vending machine of heaven gets jammed and we're like, what's going on? See, Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble. My time's not over yet. I mean, I know I've been talking a while, but what if y'all did that? What if you all set timers, you're like, they'll all go off when we think you've been talking too long. That would be an amazing way to do church. Anyway, <laughs> I want to encourage you to answer this question. I'm going to put it on the screen. Here's the question. Can God lead you through a moment or season of deep darkness and still be fully good, trustworthy, faithful, and worthy of your life and worship? David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Another way of saying that is even though I walk through deep darkness, like David is writing about a time in his life of deep darkness. Like it's possible that his life was even on the line when he was writing this. And yet he still saw his shepherd as good. This is the question that I have my kids pondering right now. Like, this is a big one for our family. Like, we sat at, at night, what we do when we sit around the dinner table, we don't do this every night, but when we do have a family dinner, we've got these little flashcards of the alphabet. And for each letter of the alphabet, there's one attribute of God. And so recently, we talked about, for P, we talked about God being perfect. And I asked my kids who really handled our move to Dallas hard. Like the move was very difficult for them. Like very challenging for them, heartbreaking for them. And so I asked them, I said, hey, do you all believe God's perfect? They're like, yes. Even moving us to Dallas. Well, I've got to think about it. Because perfect, just because God's perfect doesn't mean you're experience on earth will be perfectly what you want it to be. 
As I've been preparing this series, <clears throat> I read through a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by a guy named Philip Keller. And here's what he said. He said, it's common practice for shepherds to take their flocks to higher country during the summer. But in order for the shepherd to ascend the mountains with his sheep, he must lead his sheep through valleys. And the valleys can be places where there are predators, avalanches, poisonous plants, storms, and floods along the valley floors. In addition, since the sun does not shine into the valley very well, there really are shadows which at any moment may become shadows of death. So what does this mean for the Christian life? Here's what it means. It means the path to spiritual mountaintops will inevitably take you through dark valleys. Like when you look around and you see really spiritual people, if, if something in you is like, man, I just want to be a godly person. Like I want to be someone on fire for the Lord. Well, just take to heart what A.W. Tozier, a famous author and pastor from the 1900s said. He said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You know what this means? It means God isn't just leading you through the valley. He is leading you to new heights. He is taking you to new places of intimacy with him. He wants you to flourish. But a part of you flourishing might be taking you through places of deep darkness. Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor from the 1800s, said this. He said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. You hear what he's saying? I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Because sometimes when your dreams and reality go in separate directions, it can feel devastating, it can feel disappointing, and yet that is where God meets you. And he doesn't waste your pain. In God's economy, no pain is pointless. God can take your pain and he can use it in a very specific way to draw you closer to him for you to see God in ways that you've never seen him before. And so let me just encourage you with this. It's interesting because a lot of times when life is good, someone else gets the credit, right? Like when, when we get into a relationship and our life feels amazing, like we give the credit to the relationship. Or when things are going well at work, we give the credit to our hard work or something else. Like when life is good, someone else gets the credit, but when life is bad, God gets the credit. Like we blame God, but when life is good, we celebrate someone or something else or ourselves. Here's the reality. Change what you believe. In this world, you will have trouble. And because of that, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Be grateful in the good times and be faithful in the tough times. That's it. That's the key. Be grateful in the good times. So when life is good, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, your dreams and reality are not in two separate directions. They're actually synced up. Be grateful. Get on your knees and praise God for that. And if your dreams and reality are going in different directions, be faithful. Be faithful. Just because you can't see God doing something doesn't mean he's not doing something. But you might need to change what you believe. We don't believe in karma. 
We believe in a good shepherd who will lead you to green pastures and quiet waters, and he will also lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. Number two, you might need to change what you fear. You might need to change what you fear. What does David say? He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's the next words? I will fear no evil. So he's looking at his deep season of deep darkness. He says, I will, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Because his good shepherd is present and his good shepherd is prepared. His good shepherd is present. What does David say? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. See, when you realize that your good shepherd is with you, every single inch of the valley of the shadow of death, it changes things. When you are confident in the character of God and you know that he is with you, it changes things. But he's not just present, he's prepared. That's why David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod of the shepherd speaks to the power and the authority of the shepherd. See, the rod of the shepherd was used to protect the sheep. It was to fight off predators. And the rod was also used to discipline the sheep. So that's a reference to the power and authority of the shepherd. But he says, your rod and your staff, they come from me. The staff is is what we think of when we think of images of shepherds. It's, the, it's what has the crook in it. See, the, the staff of the shepherd represented the care and compassion of the shepherd. A shepherd would use the staff to, to pull a sheep in close to him to examine him to make sure that he or she was okay. The staff is what was used to pick up a baby lamb to bring it to its mom. The staff sometimes, Philip Keller writes, that sometimes the staff was used just to touch the side of a sheep to give direction. And at other times, if a shepherd had a favorite sheep, sometimes the shepherd would take the staff and just touch the side of the sheep as a sign of affection to say, I'm here and I care for you. And so David is able to say, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's confident that his shepherd is present And his shepherd is prepared. And so do you believe that God is with you? Like, do you firmly believe that God is with you? Every minute of every day. I know uh, just something that helps put this in perspective for me. Several years ago when my oldest son Noah, when he was about four years old, he woke up one afternoon from his afternoon nap and he was just screaming his head off. And we were like, all right, well, sometimes this is normal and so we just kind of let him be. But it didn't stop. Like it went, it went on for an hour. Went on for two hours. So this kid, he's just losing his mind for two hours. Then we move into the night. We move into the evening and he is still crying. And so we begin to think through different scenarios. Like, what's causing this? The options are, number one, he had a bad dream. Number two, he doesn't feel well. Number three, he's possessed. Like, we don't know. Like, we're trying. They're all viable. Trying to figure it out. 
didn't seem like it was the first one, didn't seem like it was the second one. We were going to go ahead and just hope for the best that it wasn't the third one. So I remember we put him in his bed to go to sleep, and he's just still losing his mind. And so what I do is, I, as his dad, is I just go and I get my pillow and I get a blanket. I walk into his room, I pull out his trundle bed, and I say, hey, dude, I'm going to sleep in here with you. And I laid down. And the minute I did, he, he stopped crying and he fell right to sleep. And I tell you that just to say the, the presence of his father changed something. And when you begin to believe that your God, that the God of the universe, the God where Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are God, that he's with you, that he loves you, and he is with you every single inch of the valley, it can change things. Like when you wake up tomorrow morning, he's in your room with you. When you are driving in your car, he's there. When you're at work, he's there. He's with you every moment of the day, and he's prepared. He's prepared with power and authority, but also care and compassion. He's prepared for every aspect of your life. Do you believe that? David was able to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He didn't have to fear the valley. Why? Because he feared his good shepherd. That's why I say you might need to change what you fear. What I'm inviting you to do is, is to displace your fear from your circumstances to your good shepherd. See, a lot of times we position faith as the opposite of fear. But faith isn't actually the opposite of fear. Faith is the redemption of fear. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, let me show you. If you were to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 39 through 41, it's a famous passage that we use when, we're, when we talk about anxiety or the storms of life. It's a story about Jesus calming the storm. And when Jesus calms this storm, listen to what he says. It says in verse 39 that he, Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? We're like, oh, well, that's the opposite. Faith is the opposite of fear. But look at what happened with the disciples. It says, and they were filled with what? Great fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you see? Their fear was transferred from the sea to the one who was greater than the sea. That's the redemption of fear. That's faith. And so when I tell you, you might need to change what you fear, what I'm inviting you to do is to trade up from the fear of your circumstances to the fear of the one who is greater than your circumstances. That's what I'm talking about. So when, what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? Well, fear is what happens when humility and awe get together and have a baby. When humility and awe get together, they give birth to fear. 
Fear is what happens when you see God for who he is and you realize who he is and who you're not. That he's God and you're not. That he's big and you're small. That he's strong and you're weak. That he's in control and you're not. That's humility. And then you think about awe. It's you stand before him and you realize he's not just a great God who spoke the universe into being. That he is in control of all things. He's not just great. He's also good. That he actually cares. And when you come to God with a posture of humility and awe, the result is fear, which is simply redeemed faith. And the product is not anxiety, but awe. Because you look at God instead of your circumstances. The real picture of this is when Jesus walks on water and invites Peter to do the same. Peter begins to walk on water and then he begins to sink. Why did he begin to sink? Because he began to look at the waters instead of looking at the one who controlled the waters. And so I just tell you that to say you might need to change what you, what you fear. I know for me just personally, like, I have a personality that leans toward anxiety. I have taken medication for anxiety at different points in my life. That's the way my personality leans is toward anxiety. And just in the last week, there are things that could cause me fear. Like, I went to the doctor, and the doctor looked at my vocal cords. It was like, you got a small bump on your vocal cords. It's like, that's never what you want to hear. So tomorrow, I go on seven days of vocal rest. My wife is so thrilled. She's not going to hear from me for seven days. But <laughs> there's room for all sorts of fear. Like, what's going to happen? What does this mean? Am I going to be able to speak? That's what I do for a living. And then different things have gone on, gone on with our kids in different ways that it's like, how are they going to turn out? They're not going to turn out right. <laughs> Fear. And it's like, I can either fear my circumstances or I can look to the one who is in control of. He, he's just greater than my circumstances. And he's good. And he's great. And he's with me. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. And even if things don't go how I want them to go, in the end, it's going to be better because it's going to be what he wants, not what I want. And so I just want to encourage you to change what you fear. And then finally, you might, need, you might not just need to change what you believe or change what you fear. I want to invite you to change what you expect. Well, what do I mean by that? When I talk about what you expect. Let's just talk about what our expectations are. Our expectations are, or what our anticipation is, is of a day when things are going to be normal again. Like that's what we expect. That's what we're, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're, we're waiting for. We're just waiting for the dreams and reality that are going like this to kind of get redirected by Google Maps and, and they're going to find their way back together to where our dreams and reality are going in the same direction. 
And that just might be the wrong expectation. You might need to change what you expect. There's two things that I love from this one verse that I want to highlight for you. The first is this. I always find it interesting that David says he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever thought about that? Like, how would, you, how would your version read? The TAV, the Timothy Atique version, would read, even though I sprinted through the valley of the shadow of death. It would not read, walk, because I can run. I ran in high school and track. I got the letter jacket to prove it. About 30 pounds heavier, but still I can run, people. What would yours read? Even though I scrape and clawed my way through the valley of shit. It's like David's not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry to get through it. Even though I walk. I just walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not frantic. He's not trying to escape it to get back to comfortable green pastures as fast as possible. He's on his feet and he's moving one step at a time. I find that interesting. The second thing that I really love about this is the shift in the passage from he to you. So I don't know if you noticed it, but in the first three verses, look back at the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Watch this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The, the language goes from distant, he's doing this, to intimate, you. Isn't it interesting that the greatest intimacy often comes through the greatest trials in life? Sometimes the greatest intimacy of, with God comes through the greatest trials. Why, why would I say that? I say that because when life is good, we forget about God. But when life is hard, we have to make a decision. We're either going to reject God or we're going to cling to Him. And so I'll just say, man, I've shared with you guys before, 2022 was the hardest year of my life. Hardest year of my life. And I can say with confidence that I know God better today than I did 12 months ago. And I am more confident that God is good than I was 12 months ago. And it hasn't been an easy week. It hasn't been an easy week at all. The next week, I already know it's going to be a very difficult week. But I am more confident than ever that God is good even in the midst of the trials because there's an intimacy that I've gotten to experience with him. Because for an extended part of 2022, I looked to my circumstances for my joy. And when I did, I lost 
my joy because there was no joy to be found in my circumstances. I was probably on the verge of depression. And then Psalm 34, I read it and it said this, those who look to him are radiant. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. And I realized I'm not radiant. I'm borderline depressed. And I began to turn my eyes back to the Lord. And he restored my joy. And so even now when not everything is exactly how I want it to be, my dreams and reality, at least this week, are going in different directions. And yet I can tell you, I have my joy. My joy is intact. Why? Because he's still good. He's the good shepherd. He is present and he is prepared. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And they can comfort you as well. You know, it's interesting. If you think back to how I started, I started talking about fire Festival. So if you were to take that analogy and you were to apply it to your life, doesn't that make God the organizer? Like you see the flaw with the analogy, right? Because now I've put God in the position of this 26-year-old entrepreneur and made a mess of things. Here's the difference. Billy McFarland did no planning. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. How did he overcome the world? Well, Jesus walked through the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray as the Good Shepherd. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane where as the Good Shepherd, he would tell the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He would lay down his life as the Good Shepherd. And then he would be arrested in that garden and led back through the Kidron Valley, led like a sheep to the slaughter. See, he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Once as a good shepherd and the other as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world because he would go to the cross and it was on that cross and it was through his empty tomb that we just celebrated on Sunday that he would conquer Satan, sin, and death. And so we can look to Jesus with confidence in expectation because he has already overcome the world. So we don't have to have our best life now because our short stay here on earth is but a few mere years, but a day is coming where he will come and he will take us to where he is. In Revelation 21 is clear that for those who know Jesus, a day is coming where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more death, because the old has passed away and the new has come. Jesus Christ is the one who has overcome the grave. He has conquered sin and death, and he will make all things new. And he, according to the scriptures, is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. So I just ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? If you don't know him, what's keeping you from knowing Jesus Christ? 
Like if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, what's keeping you from Christianity? What's keeping you from Jesus? Figure that out tonight. Wrestle with that truth tonight. And if you know Jesus, and yet you're not clinging to him, let me just say, he's trustworthy. He's with you. He's for you. He's present. He's prepared. Would you trust him tonight? Let's pray together. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet you realize what Jesus has done for you, that he died on a cross for you, he rose from the dead, conquering all of your sin. And he did that to bring you into a right relationship with God. If you want to know Jesus Christ tonight, if you want to be made right with God, if that's you, just I just invite you in this moment, just in the quietness of your own heart, there's, there's no magical words. It's just you saying what you believe to be true. It can go something like this. You can just repeat after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life tonight? Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you begin to lead me in a new life with you as my Savior and as my King? Just say these words. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you tonight. And if you're here and, and your dreams and reality are going in two different directions, I just want to invite you in this moment to just tell God, just say, I trust you. Just say that. Just say those words. I trust you. I trust you. And this is just a moment for you to do business with the Lord. If, if there's any ways where your beliefs need to be changed, maybe you've been living for karma more than Christ. Maybe you just confess that to him and you invite his healing in. Just do business with the Lord. Lord Jesus, we need you. We love you. We just pray that you the power of your spirit would have your way in our hearts tonight. We thank you that you are the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. God, I thank you that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil, for you are with us. And your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We need you. In Jesus' name.